0: On looking in, and looking in is a lot of different ways you can look in on something. You can take a quick glance, maybe a peep in, and as we looked at it last week in John chapter twenty, uh, there were different words used as people looked in on Easter. Some just took a quick glance and came to some conclusions that are different than um, billions of people have concluded today. Uh, and then some take as they look in, they don't just look in with a, a quick glance or a peeping in, uh, but they they investigate. They they look at it intently. Uh, But sometimes, even when you look intently, you don't always see what's there. Uh, I don't know about some of you men, but I have man's disease. Uh, When I'm supposed to look at something in the refrigerator, my my wife tells me it's right there in the front of the refrigerator. And I'm looking right at it, and I don't what? I don't see it. And and many people, as they look at Easter, Resurrection Sunday, whatever you want to call it, uh, the event in which changed all of history... They've looked at it intently, but somehow they don't see what's right in front of their eyes. Or or you can be like John as he looked in, uh, not only did he look intently, but he saw it so well, it came to the point where some translators take that word to see and say he now knew. He knew what really happened. And last Sunday, as we looked at Easter Sunday, and as we looked in, the whole challenge there was to look in, but also to ask the question, well, even if you look in and see what John saw, the resurrected Savior, uh, the resurrected Jesus, well, why is that so important? And really, when you think about it, it's so important because it really changes everything. If you're really looking for any kind of hope in this life and life to come, it's, it's all based on the resurrection. Now, I read that verse last week, I memorized it this week, but blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has caused us to be born again to a living hope, to the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And so our hope, at least from this book and from billions of people's experiences, is all based on the resurrection of Jesus. But, you know, as is, uh, is you come to a place like this, you're probably thinking, well, that's what you're paid to say to everybody, right? <laughs> that's, that's, your, uh, that's, your, um, that's your vocation. That's your responsibility. And I, I want to let you know, I, I am aware that there are people out there who don't believe the story that we talked about last week. And many of them are on the scholarly level. I was uh, given this past week at one of our meetings an op-ed from April 4th, 2021, which was just what? Last week, some of you are still with me, all right? And uh, there's a man named Bart Ehrman, who's a professor at a prominent school. And his headline, and I'm not going to read the article because I really don't like what he had to say, but um, heaven and hell, the immortal soul. And and so it kind of draws you in on this Easter uh, that he's going to talk about, well, how do I get to heaven and avoid that other place, right? And how how can I make sure my soul goes to a place where I want it to go? Well, here is his concluding paragraph, the opening line of his concluding paragraph. He said, Jesus himself did not share these beliefs. And what were these beliefs? That there is a heaven, that there is a hell, and there is a immortal soul. And so you have scholars out there who will try to debunk this whole message of the resurrection. And there are a lot of different words that describe people who once appeared to believe but no longer believe. And, you know, sometimes they would say that they, they backslid. Remember those old words about backsliding if you've been in the church for any length of time? Uh, some are, are now filled with doubt related to their faith. Some now describe it as deconstruct. They've had their faith deconstructed. And this is the story of Bart Ehrman. He's, he's, he's a very intelligent man. I've heard him debate uh, other Christians on the whole subject related to this and other ones. And uh, he's very clever when he speaks and he has some things that he can share. But as you think about this particular event, the resurrection, everything rests on that. Why? Because if that's not true, we have no hope. And as Paul talked about last week, we among all people are most to be pitied. I mean, it's not just believing in something that makes you feel good, but it really is, is harmful to you and everybody else if it's not true. And beyond that, we also recognize, not only we don't have any hope for ourselves, but we have no hope of seeing loved ones that already know Jesus and are another, and, and with Him right now. We, we have no hope to expect that. If we're looking at lives, our own lives, and are honest about it, and anybody here needs, you know, there's still some changes that would be helpful in your life that the uh, if, if not for you, maybe for the person sitting next to you or, or people who know you really, really well. And, and we all need to keep changing, right? Well, what's the hope to change? You know, just try a little bit harder? Or, or is there someone supernaturally who can come in and, and change us from the inside out? The Bible says, uh, for if anyone's in Christ, he's a new creature. creation. He's a new creature. The old things are past. Behold, new things have come. It's a process. He who began this good work and you is going to continue on. So this is so critical about uh, what happened and why it did it happen. And today we're going to look at our, can we really be convinced it really, really did happen? And as you think about people who battle about who Jesus is and really what difference does it make, it all gets down to, do you really believe who he claimed to be and and what he is reported to have done? And, And should that make a difference in our lives right now over 2,000 years later? So we're going to look at that a little bit, and I've already spent more time on the introduction than I had time to spend, uh, but uh, let's look at it this morning. So if you have your, have your outline, it might help you follow along as I, as I race through some things, not just to get through material, but to give us all at least some things to consider about, well, why should we believe this? Is this just some elaborate fairy tale passed on through hundreds and hundreds of years, and, and now we've come to the point and said, well, why wouldn't anyone want to believe that? And I really believe that. Why wouldn't anyone want to believe it? But I don't want to believe it unless it is true. And so we're going to look at this morning, looking at why the tomb is empty. And, and, and really, we titled last Sunday's message, let's look at the tomb, because I don't want to presume that it was empty. But the ones who went to that tomb, and they were not expecting it to be empty, found it was Empty. And, it was, and as you think about it, something not being where you thought it was, that it was, that usually when that happens in my house, I look around to see who I can blame. Some of you do that as well, right? It couldn't be me misplacing it. It couldn't be me somehow forgetting where I had put it. Uh, and, and so that's what happened. As they went to the tomb, uh, they found it was empty and they were wrestling to, to somehow figure out how that happened, why that happened, and now what should they do with their lives? So last week, uh, we looked at, as they came to look at the tomb, some took a peep, some took a glance, some looked at it intently, and some saw, and then they knew what actually happened. They looked at the tomb, and in it, and they found it empty. Now, I'm not going to re-preach Sunday's, last Sunday's message, though it's very tempting. I really liked it, so I don't want to hear it again. No, I'm not going to re-preach it, but we saw some reasonably then. As you went into that tomb, it was empty, but it really wasn't totally empty. What was still there? The grave clothes. And if someone had taken the body, you wouldn't expect that to happen. And the way it was left, particularly, it looked like it was almost a supernatural departure from that which was in those grave clothes. So they, they found it was empty, and they came to that conclusion later on, because of the appearances of Jesus, that Jesus actually had risen from the dead. But what do they want to do is, okay, let's, let's, be, let's be willing to look at the other side, and Bart Ehrman looks at the other side and has come to that other conclusion um, about, well, how do you explain the event of Easter, of a resurrection? How, how, do we, how do we look at that and, and now come to the conclusion that I, I just believe that because I live in this part of the world where Christianity, if it's, if it's, um, it's not adopted by everybody, but it, it is significantly open for people to hear about it. And maybe if I live in another part of this world, I would have other conclusions. And maybe, maybe this whole resurrection thing just doesn't make sense if you really look at it with any depth. You know the word for resurrection, it's a Greek word, it's anastasis, which really has the idea of stand up. I really like that. Well, what happened with Jesus when he went to the grave, and three days later he, oh, you guys are now helping me out preach this message, right? That's what happened. He stood up. Why? Because he now was alive, and and as he stood up, and he did exactly what he had promised he would do. Uh, but there are other people who come up with other conclusions, and and the natural explanations from the empty tomb. In my mind, and it's already all all right to use your mind as it relates to your faith. And so you look at, well, if this is not true, then how do I explain it? Well, there are people who have tried to explain it. And, and, and for me, it's not convincing. Uh, one is, and it's, it's called different ways, it's called the swoon theory. Uh, another way to put it is the, the non-death theory, is that when Jesus went to the cross, uh, he got hurt a little bit, was a little sore when he woke up the next day, but he actually hadn't what? died. And so you're taking people who are professional executors and saying they really don't know how to do their, well, you're really helping me today. You can just fill in the blanks. Yeah, you know, that's what my wife does to me when I talk with her. When I, when I pause for any moment, she just fills in the blanks, right? So what, what happens here is, yeah, if you look at the swoon theory, which is somehow he, he got, he got he fainted and everybody thought he was dead, is that he didn't really die. And of course, if you don't, if someone doesn't die, you can't have a Resurrection, right? So he didn't die. And somehow, and that's, as you look at it, he he got out of that tomb. Now, I'm not sure exactly how he got out of that tomb. Um, Some have estimated, because of the type of tomb he was put in, that that stone had to weigh about 440 pounds. Um, That wouldn't be easy to move, would it? Particularly if you were in a weakened state, and particularly if they had a seal on it, and particularly if you had Roman soldiers guarding it. So that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Uh, the other idea, and that was implied not only by Mary, as we looked at it last week, but also later on in the Gospels, you, you find other people who propose for this theory, is that uh, the body got stolen. You know, the reason it's not there is someone took it. And we can all relate to that. Again, when I, when I can't find something, I, I think someone took it. All right, well, the, the idea here is <laughs> if... If it got taken, one, it, the scene would have fit the description that wouldn't have been the grave clothes there because he had 100 pounds of, of spices upon him, and you wrap a body like that, it's not going to be easy to wrap out, is it? I mean, it, you're going to be tearing everything apart. Well, that's not how it looked. The same thing with a face clock. You're not going to go in there and just take your time still in the body. You would get in there and you would get out. Well, so the, the 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 story or the theory of it being stolen doesn't make a lot of sense. The wrong tomb. Now uh, we shared a little bit about that last week. Is okay, I, I get lost constantly. Okay, I, I can get I can uh, my find my place in so many different situations, but even if those who went to the tomb, the disciples and and the ladies who went there, if they went to the wrong tomb, the people who knew where the right tomb was would just go back and say, hey, you went to the wrong place. It's right here. And if they wanted to eliminate the whole Christian movement, all they had to do was debunk the resurrection. That would have changed everything. And so that doesn't make a whole lot of sense. And then the other part of it which is more the experience afterwards, when there were the appearances of Jesus? Well, maybe, maybe, they, maybe they all got hallucinated. Okay, they they got by some, some flowers with sweet smells and you know whatever it might be, and they they kind of lost their mind. Well, I, well, if if you. Uh, if that makes sense to you fine, but to have the multiple appearances of Jesus and at one place 500 people at one time, they all got to be hallucinating at the exact same moment. And so the, the natural explanations, and there are those who just feel it became a, a story that got bigger and bigger and bigger. It was told it doesn't make a lot of sense as you think about people who are willing to put their life on the line for it to be true. So if it's a tomb that was found empty gives the indication you've got to figure out, well, why was it empty? Well, explain why it was empty. Well, uh, these other natural explanations, to me, are not convincing. If they're convincing to you, put your faith in that, that Jesus didn't rise from the dead. But for me, it's, it's much more easy to believe, because it makes sense, there was a supernatural explanation. And that's because God showed up is that Jesus did exactly what he said he would do. And as you look in the New Testament, one time it says God the Father rose Jesus from the dead, other times the Son of God rose himself from the dead, and the others the Spirit of God rose from the dead, because God rose, t- took his body and rose him out of the grave. And so as you look at that, uh, what needs to be true for that to be true? And again, this is where some people like Bart Ehrman, er- who is a historian, uh, Though he doesn't actually believe this particular point, is one way you can deny the resurrection or the whole story about Jesus, is be convinced that Jesus never, never lived. Right? Not only never lived, but never died. He'd have to be alive to die. Those who said death first—that's okay. I'll get that's permission. All right. You know, is he can't raise from the dead unless you die, and you can't raise from the dead unless you live. So why would we believe that Jesus actually lived? Uh, well. One is you have, even if you don't believe the Bible is inspired, it is an historical document. It it was written at a particular period of time by various authors. And so you can look at just their record of all these events. But what you need to understand is that the Bible is not the the only source of information about Jesus. You've got historians back then, Tacitus, Josephus. You've got Suetonius, and they all write about Jesus. You have others as well. And some debate the authority of those writings, but as you look at them, it sure gives an indication that Jesus was alive, he lived. You look at all of history. You remember when you had a look up in encyclopedias that were in book form, you know, before you had Google everything? I mean, the biggest section is on Who? That's the answer you can always ask, okay? The biggest section is on who? Jesus. Well, why is that? Did the whole world get mixed up that there wasn't a man named Jesus? Well, most authorities, even Bart Ehrman, who doesn't believe that Jesus believed in a mortal soul in heaven and hell, believe that Jesus lived. And that has to be true if, if, if Jesus actually conquered the grave. Uh, and I'm going to give you six or seven points here. And there's a man named Gary Habernas who has spent his life writing book after book after book on the resurrection. He, he's going to write another book, which is going to be 5,000 pages in length. And, he, and he's, he's bring up all kinds of other things to really hammer this issue that what we believe in is not just wishful thinking. In fact, he, he, I was listening and reading him uh, just recently, and he said this. He says, when I first started this, most of my um, skeptics truly believed that the facts were on their side. And he said, that's not the case now. For, for most of them, he says, he, he says, by and large, at least three-fourths of them now say, well, you, you had the facts, but I just, I just can't believe it could happen. And why is that? Because they have a world view in which they don't have a God, they they have a world view in which the supernatural is impossible. But if you do believe there is a God, whether you know Him or not, then is there anything too hard for a God that created and made everything? Obviously, God could do anything. And David Hume used to have the whole debate about miracles. You know, miracles are just impossible. But what miracles are is when God providentially and sovereignly decides to change or not use the natural laws of nature and accomplish what he wants to accomplish. And whether it's the virgin birth or with the resurrection, you know, this is, nothing is too hard for God. And so if you have already presupposed in your own heart and mind that the miraculous can't happen, then I can't help you, and even God can't help you, unless he just humbles your heart. Because once you believe that something can't happen in your mind, it doesn't matter whether it happened or not. Isn't that true? For some of you, 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 you wonder if I could be kind and gentle, you know? You, just, you haven't seen it happen, but you can believe it might happen sometime, right? It, it is that this is, this is really where people have to wrestle with. Well, first of all, if this is to happen, he he says these are, he has found, as he has debated people like Bart Ehrman and others, these are the things you you can't resist, other than saying it just can't happen. One is, for Jesus to raise from the dead, he had to be alive, and he had to then die. Well, we already talked about his death, and there's many other sources that make the Bible a reliable historical book, even if you don't think it's inspired, I believe it's inspired, but as you look at the archaeology behind all that is in the Bible, it just affirms the truth of what's in this book. And that wasn't all, we have so much more evidence now than they, they did centuries before. I mean, there were places like Bethsaida and, and Cana and, and even Nazareth. They, they did, well, where are those places? Well, they've dug them up. They know exactly where they were. And it just accounts that the things you read about in this book, you can go geographically to where they happened uh, 2,000 years ago. Secondly, the followers, and, and the followers had experiences that they believe were physical appearances of Jesus. And really what I'm doing here and what people who use this kind of material, they, just, they develop a, a step-by-step apologetic or a rationale for this to have happened. Now, if I believe Jesus rose from the dead intellectually, maybe based on the testimony of somebody else, if I wanted that to be really confirmed, or even the testimony that I'm hearing from initially, I, I, I want to know that someone actually, what? Saw him, right? And, and again, I want someone to have seen him that wasn't already predisposed to believe it was going to happen, because maybe, maybe they would begin seeing things that they just believed hard enough was going to happen, whether it happened or not. Well, we talked about last week that that was not the case. That was not the case of the ladies who went to the tomb. That was not the case of the men who came to the tomb. They they were expecting to find the body in the tomb. Uh, But when they saw Jesus, all the accounts of that, we see they they were convinced this was Jesus risen from the dead. In John chapter 20, uh, we have the account of a man named Thomas, and forever he's got a nickname, and his name is... Doubting Thomas. And why do we call him Doubting Thomas? Because he doubted, doubted all right? Uh, he, he, was, he, was, he was one of the disciples, even in the earlier record of, of the story of Jesus or the account of Jesus, is that he would often ask the questions every other disciple would ask. But they didn't ask him because they didn't want to look like they were doubting, that they, they were somehow not you know, getting what Jesus was saying or really believing what Jesus said. Because if we said often, often Jesus often said things that were unbelievable, and that's why he had to say "truly, truly," because he was about to say something. And you're going, ah, how can this be? You know, even the verse that we've shared earlier this this uh, service: "I am the resurrection and the life; he who believes in me shall live, even if he dies." Uh, really? Are you uh, really? Because uh, I've heard that there is no such thing as heaven or hell. Uh, Though I do want to read this to you. It's interesting. I don't know if Bart Ehrman's ever read this, but um, (laughs) Pinchas Lapidi, who's an Orthodox Jew and an Israeli historian who doesn't really believe in everything about the message of Jesus, says this, without the experience of the resurrection, the crucifixion of Jesus would most likely have remained without consequences and forgotten. Just as were the innumerable crucifixions of pious Jews which the Romans carried out before Jesus during the lifetime of Jesus. Which is interesting. The thousands and thousands of people who were crucified by the Romans. Anybody have some first names of any of those people? All right. But we do have the message of Jesus. Why? Because of the account of his resurrection. During the lifetime of Jesus and up until the destruction of Jerusalem in the year 70. Thus the Christian faith stands and falls, not with Golgotha, the infamous place of the skull, where thousands of Jesus' brothers were murdered cruelly by Roman mercenaries, whom we don't know the names of, but with the experience on the third day after the crucifixion, an experience which was able to diffuse, to refute, even to make meaningful this death on the cross for the community of disciples. Which is what he was saying here. This makes no sense. The whole Christian movement, upon, apart from the story of the resurrection. And just for free, I'll throw this in as well. It, it, it is that there's an there's a website called Kabbad, which is, it's a well, it's a it's a strange Hebrew word, but it basically means wisdom and earning, uh, learning and and being uh, filled with light. But this is what they say about the whole Jewish perspective on this life and Israel life to come. One of the fundamental tenets of the Jewish faith is that the dead will come to life once again in the, area, in the era of the Messiah. The Talmud explains that all the dead will be resurrected in the land of Israel. The bodies of those who are buried outside of Israel will be Burrow through the earth until they reach Israel, and there their souls will be reinstated in their bodies. Which, I'm just trying to think what things I'm going to leave in, what things I'm going to take out. You know, as you think about the resurrection, I want you to understand the resurrection demands, as far as from a biblical perspective, a bodily resurrection. It is not just a. a, a, a re- A rejection of the idea. It is a rejection of the idea. It's only the immortality of the soul. In other words, uh, you know, my body stays here, and somehow, you know, whatever is on the inside is going to go float up to some place, and I'm going to have an ongoing experience. That's not the message of the Bible. The Bible rejects just the immortality of the soul. It's also not reincarnation. It's not somehow when this life is over, you're going to be made into something else, and you're going to. actually uh, somehow pay for your sins of being in this human life it's actually not a good thing reincarnation you don't want to be reincarnated okay it's also not a uh, translation it's not like beam me up Scotty now God did that with a couple of people in the Bible Enoch and Elijah uh, but that's not what he talked about here that was not a resurrection and then you think, well, Jesus brought people back from the dead, as well as some other apostles. Well, it, it's, it, it's not just a return to this life, then a return to death. The resurrection of Jesus is that when he was resurrected from the dead, okay, he was never to go back into, into the grave. He was never to die again. He was to live forever. And as you think about this, this is the, this is the heart of the scripture. This is the heart of the message, is that we look forward, not to some ghost-like Casper, you know, experience throughout eternity, is that that God has prepared a place for us in which we will get glorified bodies to live with him forever, and Jesus is the first fruits of that. That was all for free as well. That wasn't in the notes, all right? All right, so so why should we believe in the supernatural experience? One is there, there's plenty of evidence that there, there was Jesus. He was alive and then he died. Secondly, the physical experiences. And I don't have time to read this, but I'm going to. All right, John chapter 20, all right, verse 24. But Thomas, one of the 12 called Didymus, was not with them when Jesus came. And so the other disciples were saying to him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the imprint of his nails and put my finger into the place of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Because he's talking about a bodily resurrection here. He's not talking about some ethereal, mystical thing that you see floating around. After the eight days, the disciples were again inside, and Thomas with them. And Jesus came, the doors having been shut, and stood there in their midst and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Reach here with your finger and see my hands, and reach here with your hand and put it into my side, and do not be unbelieving but believing. And when he saw Jesus, he was convinced it was the physical appearance of the one he had walked with for three years. For three years. And Thomas said, my Lord and my God. Now just in case, like we all are, we all at times wish we were, we were there when it all happened. I don't care if it's the Jesus experience or any other time where something amazing happened. Is this, this is what Jesus said. Jesus said to him, because you have seen me and have, you have believed, blessed are those who do not see and yet believe. Faith is assurance of things so forth and convictions of things not seen. Without faith, it is impossible to believe God, for he who comes to God must believe that he is. And he's a rewarder of all those who follow him. But as we look back at the testimony of those in the past, what we see here is Jesus was alive and then he died. Jesus appeared to others, and they were convinced it was the physical appearance of Jesus. The event that impacted the world was fundamentally based on the resurrection. I've already referred to some other quotes about that, but you can look at Acts chapter 17, verses 3 and 6, and Paul, when he was in a Gentile environment, a non-Jewish, non-religious, in terms of what God had said in the past, he based everything he was preaching on on the resurrection. We, We serve someone who conquered death. He was in the grave and rose from the dead. Point number four believers in the resurrection were willing to die for what they were convinced was true and not a lie. And again, there's some things I could say about this, but I'm just going to summarize this point is that, you know, it's pretty convincing when someone is so convinced something is true that they're willing to give their life for it. But we need to understand what is unique about this experience is these were the people who, if Jesus had not risen from the dead, they would have known it. We, we are trusting in all the evidence that we have now that it is true, but they, they were believers by sight. And, and so when, when they suffered dramatically and the word martyrdom became popular, if you want to use that word, during those days as they were a witness to all this that had happened, and quite frankly, if I, knew some, if I know something is not true, I'm not going to die for it. There have been many of people throughout history have died for something they thought was true, but these would have known it was not true and still followed faithfully in believing it was true. Fifthly, the record and proclamation of the resurrection was practically immediate. Uh, this is a great passage, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, 3-8. through You can read it at home. But re- really, as you think about it, Some people say, well, it was a long time before all this was written down. Um, Almost immediately, if you look at the creeds of the faith, happened within probably months of this happening. And part of that, you can trace it, how the apostle Paul knew about it. And when he came to faith, it goes goes way back. These creeds were were just uh, uh, proclaimed throughout those who had come to faith in Christ. And then you look at conversions back there. And, and that's, that's some of the powerful testimonies for us to believe it is true. But James, the half-brother of Jesus, came to faith. Anybody have brothers or sisters? Okay, maybe when they were like little babies, you thought they were angels or something like that, you know. But, you know, if someone say, hey, was your, was your brother sinless? You know, was, was, your, was your brother, did your brother raise from the dead? You know, James coming to faith is just amazing. But Jesus appeared to him, and he was convinced he was who he claimed to be. The Apostle Paul, he was killing people, and Jesus appeared to him, and his whole life was changed. So as you look at all these things, and there are ways for people to try to argue with them, but these are legitimate things that you have to be convinced that it did happen, but you, you could question why did it happen. But even as you do that, the facts are on our side more than on their side. Unless you're just convinced because of your worldview that, that God does not exist. And if God does not exist, then the miraculous can't happen. So what's the point this morning? And we still have one other section if you're looking at the outline. <laughs> it, 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 what's the point? It, that we need to look in at the empty tomb. What happened? What happened? And why did it happen? And why are we convinced it really, really did happen? But if it did happen, what, what should be the impact in our life? I just want to read a section, and this makes some simple points. And this is, this is what ought to drive us in, in terms of how we live. This is right in the, almost in the middle of a testimony by the Apostle Paul of his experience in Jesus. And, and then he gives some details about what difference did it make in his life being with verse 7 in Philippians chapter 3. He goes, but whatever things were gained to me, those things I have counted as lost for the sake of Christ. And, and he, was, uh, he was a VIP in uh, the, the Jewish world. I mean, he was a very important person. He was a, a scholar. He was, a, a, he was a, a leader. He was a person that people went to. Uh, he was a person that, uh, that people admired because of, his lifestyle, but he said, you know, all that religiosity that I was involved in, I just count all but loss. All, all is lost. More than that, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Now, I put it in the outline this way. What's the amazing impact of the risen Jesus makes on our lives? Knowing Jesus, it doesn't get any better than this. Now, let put it in the positive sense. In one sense, Paul was put it in the negative sense to say the positive. He said, look at Everything else is just rubbish. It's just trash. In fact, it's, it's skubalon in the Greek, and it really, it really, it's kind of, it's got some colorful... Uh, side definitions. He says it's just manure. It's just excrement. It's just dung. It's just the S word, you know. That's what it is. As I look at everything, if, if this is true, is there anything better than this? It doesn't get any better than this, that God loved you so much that he sent his son to die a horrible death for you to pay for your sins and for my sins and rose again to prove to you that I am who I claim to be, and I've got life for you. I've given you hope. i give you the, 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 the promise that your life can change. I, I've given you the conviction that you'll see loved ones again who know Jesus. I, I've, I've given you all this, and that, and that you can have a relationship with me. It doesn't get any better than this. But, but then he goes on, and real quickly, verse 9 and may be found in him, not having righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. His whole life was was doing everything he could to obey the law so that God would would be pleased with him and would approve him uh, in terms of eternity. And if you ever tried to to never make a mistake, and never fall back into some patterns you've had before. Have you ever? Have you ever tried to be perfect? Have you ever tried to to reach 100% on everything you do? It never happens, does it? And finally came to that point. Look at, I can know that I am good enough. And in fact, for many people, in conversation I've had with them, you'll ask them, uh, you know. You have to get into the conversation, but you get into the conversation and you ask, well, what do you, th- you think is going to happen when you die? And uh, do you think uh, you- you're going to go to heaven and if there is a heaven? And-, and most of us will say, I don't know. And then if you come back and say, well, you know, I know. They're kind of shocked by that because particularly they know you say, well, I-, I know you. And yeah, you're-, you're okay, nice guy. But how do you know you're good enough to get to heaven? Well, that's the point. I'm not good enough, but Jesus is, and he's made me good enough. My goodness or righteousness is not received by my efforts, but by faith in what he's done for me. So what does the resurrection do for me? It it doesn't get any better than this. It it makes me good enough. And then verse 10, he says this, so that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death and that's a passage you can try to unpack in so many different ways, but I I put it this way. Relying on Jesus, it gives you all you need. Um, I think all the times, many times, we we, wish we had a little bit more going for ourselves, but for what we really need, we've got all the power we need. We got all the strength we need. We have all the resources we need because it's found in the resurrected Savior, and it's demonstrated by the resurrection power. And when we go through difficult times, the fellowship of the sufferings, it means that, look at God doesn't waste a pain in your life. He doesn't waste a hurt in your life. And some of us feel damaged by what has happened, what is happening, or what we fear is going to happen. Isn't that true? And he said, look it, the, the you have a, a fellowship. You have a koinonia. You have a communion with the sufferings of Jesus. That no matter what you have gone through, are going through, or will go through, Jesus goes through it with you. I'll never leave you or forsake you. And as we respond to suffering in the right way, we become a testimony to Jesus. But he prepares us for whatever might happen or has happened. And then he says, and conform to his death. Death For us, the death of the old life, but now being born again to the new life. That's all we need. And the thing we often think about, which is the last statement, in order that I may attain to the resurrection from the dead. Being in Jesus means our future is settled. We come to that place where I, where I can honestly say, I don't think I'm going to heaven or I hope I'm going to heaven. I can say, I know I'm going to heaven. Not in a prideful way because I deserve it. I don't deserve it. Not a prideful way because I'm better than anybody else. I'm not better than anybody else. But I can know I'm going there because Jesus said, I'm the resurrection and the, the life. If he who believes in me will live even if he dies. And, and, and so you put your faith in the one who died and rose again and take the offer he gives us. And we can, we can know where, what our future is all about. I didn't put a so what on this message, but the so what is... Let's be convinced in what we believe. And then if we're convinced in what we believe, then let's live it out. And as we live it out, let's share it with others for his sake and for his glory. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for who you are and what you've done. We thank you that our faith is based on that which we cannot see, but we can know. Know it is true because you've revealed this truth in so many different ways that that gives us a confidence in that what we believe is actually true. Help us to recognize that as you rose from the dead, as you, Anastasis, as you stood up, help us to stand up for you. And we praise in Jesus' name, amen.